Well, you'd be amazed what falling madly in love can do for you. Well, it's wonderful. It's nice to see you embracing life in this manner. Yeah, plus, you know, you just get to a certain point where you get tired of the whole thing. What whole thing? The whole life of a single guy thing. You meet someone, you have the safe lunch, you decide you like each other enough to move on to dinner. You go dancing, you do the white man's overbite. Go back to her place, you have sex, and the minute you're finished, you know what goes through your mind? How long do I have to lie here and hold her before I can get up and go home? Is 30 seconds enough? That's what you're thinking? Is that true? Sure. All men think that. If you care to, you can trace the rom-com all the way back to 300 BC, when the Greek playwright Menander laid out the plot from The Girl from Samos. Concerning wealthy men, their mistresses and children born out of wedlock, the girl from Samos concluded with hastily arranged marriages and adoptions. Menander so precinctly organised his ending, it proved not only popular with audiences back in ancient Greece, but since then, all rom-coms have copied his finale of unity and social harmony. And although the intervening two millennia have provided many innovations and variations, you can pretty much whittle them down to four primary categories. Trickery, magic, rebellion, and because I've already mentioned ancient Greece, marathon. I'll outline those categories in a moment, but for now, let us agree that all, all, all rom-coms eventuate upon the same point. The moment when, after many deceptions, mishaps, misunderstandings and arguments, the would-be lovers finally summon the courage to come clean, profess their love, and in doing so, lay themselves bare. They say, this is who I am, no more, no less. Please, take my hand. But the thing is, um, what I'm trying to say very inarticulately is that, um, in fact, perhaps despite appearances... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. I'm also just a girl, standing in front of a boy, asking him to love her. Let us begin with trickery. Trickery presents characters pretending to be other people, and would include plays such as William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, Edmund Rostand's Serrano de Bergerac, and in cinema, Some Like It Hot, The Birdcage, and Wedding Crashers. Contrived as those plots are, they do reflect the deceptions some of us undertake during courtship. Fearful that we are not good enough for the person to whom we are attracted, we pretend to be someone we're not. Maintaining that deception, we run the risk of losing them. So eventually, we must remove the mask, and the revelation is that true love is based on honesty and trust. For longer than I care to remember, my business has been crashing weddings. I crashed weddings to meet girls. Business was good. I met a lot of girls. And it was childish. It was juvenile. Empathetic. Yeah. That's probably the best word to describe it. But you know what? It also led me to you. So it's hard for me to completely regret it. And that person that you met back at your folks' place, that was really me. Maybe not my name, I'm John Beckwith, by the way, or my job, but the feelings we felt, the jokes, the stupid laughs, that was all me.
Magic. Magic is where the lovers fall under a spell or a temporary condition. And that category would take in another Shakespeare play, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and the films Groundhog Day, Fifty First Dates and Silver Linings Playbook. Again, these stories exaggerate the idea that love is an altering experience. We feel giddy, act impulsively and do things we ordinarily would not do. But like a crush, magic potion or spell, it is all short-lived. So we must learn the difference between temporary infatuation and love eternal. I'm sorry, what was that again? I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god, I'm not the god, I don't think. Because you survived a car wreck? You folks ready to order? I didn't just survive a wreck. I wasn't just blown up yesterday. I have been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned. Oh, really? And every morning I wake up without a scratch on me, not a dent in the fender, I am an immortal. Special today is blueberry waffles. Why are you telling me this? Because I want you to believe in me. Rebellion. Rebellion shows us how characters need to summon the strength to step away from their background in order to win their true love. Examples of this would include yet another Shakespeare play, The Merry Wives of Windsor, Ian Forster's novel A Room with a View, and from cinema, the likes of Roman Holiday, She's Gotta Have It, and Bend It Like Beckham. Such stories let us know that we must shake off the traditions, habits, customs and biases that we have inherited from our parents, siblings, friends, communities and cultures. All in order to see that ethnicity, class, colour and creed are superficial. True love resides within. Your loved one is dating you, not your family, friends or neighbours, or conventions. You don't mean you're going to marry that man. You're being ridiculous. Oh, I would have held back if your Cecil had been a different person. But he's the sort who can't know anyone intimately, least of all a woman. He doesn't know what a woman is. He wants you for a possession, something to look at, like a painting or, or an ivory box. Something to own and to display. He doesn't want you to be real and to think and to live. He doesn't love you. But I love you. I want you to have your own thoughts and ideas and feelings, even when I hold you in my arms. Miss Bartlett, you wouldn't stop us this time, not if you understood. And finally to Marathon. Here it is not trickery, marriage or tradition that gets in the way of true love. Those obstacles are all external. In the Marathon scenario, the problem comes from within. Here, the characters find themselves inexplicably falling in love, but not exclusively with one another. The Marathon scenario maps out the long journey in which the greatest challenge is getting to know yourself. Finding out who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, how can you expect anyone to love you? How can you expect to drop the trickery, come clean and present your true self? How can you expect to tell the difference between infatuation and true love? Or understand that your love is not an expression of anger rebelling against your background? And illustrating this, we have, yes, another Shakespeare play, Much Ado About Nothing. We also have Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and in cinema, Moonstruck, 500 Days of Summer, and When Harry Met Sally. You know, the first time we met, I really didn't like you that much. I didn't like you. Yeah, you did. You were just so uptight then. You're much softer now. 
You know, I hate that kind of remark. It sounds like a compliment, but really it's an insult. Okay, you're still as hard as nails. I just didn't want to sleep with you, and you had to write it off as a character flaw instead of dealing with the possibility that it might have something to do with you. What's the statute of limitations on apologies? Ten years. Ooh, I can just get it in under the wire. Would you like to have dinner with me sometime? Are we becoming friends now? Well... A woman friend. You know, you may be the first attractive woman I have not wanted to sleep with in my entire life. That's wonderful, Harry. Directed by Rob Reiner, written by Nora Ephron, and starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, When Harry Met Sally is for me the all-time rom-com champ. With neurotic, engaging, and slowly evolving characters, two appealing supports in Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby, dialogue that sparkles with great wit and humour, a New York backdrop and fantastic music, its delivery is pitch perfect. Just as the plot is a variation on the old Lubitsch comedies Trouble in Paradise, Ninochka and The Shop Around the Corner, so too does the soundtrack offer up a revival of old standards from the Great American Songbook, with each given a new spin by Harry Connick Jr. It's very clear Our love is here to stay not for a year Forever and a day For a long time, I had been under the impression that Nora Ephron had come up with the film's premise. But in the forward to her published version of the screenplay, Ephron very honestly revealed that a lot of the script was taken from the conversations she had with Rob Reiner. It was Reiner who had instigated those conversations when he pitched to Ephron an idea for a project a drama about a lawyer. But when Efron said she was not interested, Reiner came back with a new idea, about a man and a woman who were friends, but decided never to have sex. Because, Reiner believed, sex ruins everything. In developing the script, it became clear that Reiner's personality was heavily influencing the character of Harry Burns, while Efron's fed directly into Sally Albright. Yet, for all that, the film's most celebrated sequence only came about when the two stars came on board. While it was Efron who shocked Reiner with the revelation that all women have at some point faked an orgasm with a man, it was Meg Ryan who said that Sally should fake hers in the film. And then it was Ryan who went one step further by suggesting that Sally fake her orgasm in front of Harry, in a crowded restaurant. And that led to Billy Crystal giving the scene its celebrated punchline. I'll have what she's having. In essence, when Harry met Sally is a marathon conversation a debate that takes 12 years to reach agreement. So, while Sally is shocked to hear that men enjoy her company only in order to get her to go to bed with them, Harry is shocked that once he gets a woman into bed, she might just be as dishonest as he has been. And much of the comedy comes from neither Harry nor Sally seeing anything wrong with their own behaviour. Which means you have two diametrically opposed personalities who take a dozen years to admit that their pride and prejudice is really much ado about nothing. Now, in the marathon scenario, it appears that the two leads spend a lot of time bickering, but in fact, they aren't really arguing with each other, but rather with themselves, because the other person's opinion has forced them 
to look inside and examine who they are. Of course, the dangers for Benedict and Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing, Elizabeth Bennet and Mr Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, and Harry and Sally, is that if they spend all their time trying to figure out who they are, they will fail to recognise that love is standing right in front of them. And if they don't move quickly, that love could easily run off with someone else. In which case, they'd better run after them. I came here tonight because when you realise you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. You see? That is just like you, Harry. You say things like that and you make it impossible for me to hate you. And I hate you, Harry. I really hate you. Having Harry run across town to profess his love for Sally continues a favourite trope of the rom-com that can be traced back as far as 1939 to Ernst Lubitsch's rebellion rom-com, Ninochka. There, a French aristocrat, Count Leon Dalgou, chases Soviet envoy Ninochka Yakachova halfway around the world to declare his true love. Oh, darling, I had to see you. I wrote and wrote and all my letters came back to me. And the one I got, they wouldn't let me read. One of the writers on that picture was Billy Wilder, and when, 20 years later, he went to make Some Like It Hot, he repeated the device, but switched it so that it is a woman who did the chasing. Only in this trickery rom-com, Sugar Cane did the chasing on a bicycle. Another bridesmaid? Flower girl! Sugar, what do you think you're doing? I told you, I'm not very bright. The device worked so well, Wilder chose to repeat it two years later, in the Oscar-winning Trickery and Rebellion rom-com, The Apartment. Are you all right? I'm fine. Are you sure? How's your knee? I'm fine all over. Mind if I come in? Of course not. In 1967, Mike Nichols ended his rebellion rom-com, The Graduate, by having Benjamin Braddock speeding all the way down California's coastline to rescue Elaine Robinson from her mother's command. Oh, Jesus, God. No. In 1979, in his marathon rom-com, Woody Allen raced all the way across Manhattan to dissuade Muriel Hemingway from leaving for London. Don't you want me to have that experience? I mean, a while ago you made such a convincing case. Five years later, Ron Howard directed the trickery, magic and rebellion rom-com Splash, where the normal world is so embittered by prejudice that the only safe way for Allen and Madison to be together is to swim out to the ocean. I was ready to stay with you forever. I know. Now they know who you are, they're never going to leave you alone. I can't ever come back to you. In The Wedding Singer, a marathon and rebellion rom-com, Robbie Hart jumps on a plane to Las Vegas to intercept Julia Sullivan before she marries serial cheater Glenn. That's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Where are they getting married? That's the problem. I don't know where, but I'm going to run around and find them, you know. i got to do what i got to do. And finally, back to London. Notting Hill, to be precise. That climaxes with William Thacker careening down to the Savoy Hotel to interrupt Anna Scott's press conference and ask her a crucial question. Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? So why all the running? Maybe it's because it sets the heart racing. It had to be you. It had to be you. I wandered around and finally found the somebody who could make me be true, could make me be blue, or even be glad just to be sad thinking of you.